it feels rare to chat with someone who is a hundred percent what you see is what you get honesty. I mean completely forthright and our friend Dr. Tasha Russell is the most genuine non-mask wearing not hiding person I have ever met. So interviewing someone with that rare quality is a rare treat, a real treat I should say. And she can carry a whole conversation from a single question. So as a podcaster, my job is easy. I've known Russell for over 20 years. You'll hear me call her my sister, which is the clearest way to describe our relationship. That too makes this conversation with her today a real present. And she's also just utterly brilliant with interpersonal realities and connections and relationships. She is a true genius at unpacking uh, what is really going on in someone's head or a couple together, a family. So I learned a lot um, from her in today's conversation as I have for years. And Icy on the Cake, her new book has been published, which was the the impetus for the recording today. And it's up there for, for grabs from her website or Amazon, and I will put both in the show notes. I hope you gain as much from listening to her as I did. She is a real joy to chat with. My sister from another mister. I can't believe you wrote a book. I know. But I got the pleasure to read. It was so fun. Yes, it was. It's very cool when you get your edits back from certain people. It makes you, it kind of, it's kind of cool because you get the perspective of, oh, wow, I didn't think of that. Even the word that. Huh? How many times did I overuse that? <laughs> oh my gosh. Now, how do you avoid these? I'm already going off cuff. This is like perfect classic you and I talking. I have this like list of questions. And of course, I'm, so you get feedback and some of it could be really helpful. Some of it could not. How do you not take that personally? How do you decide what's worth soaking in versus not? Like I would find that hard. So the first thing like I can say from being an author is that you actually want your audience to be like vast. So if there are certain people that feel whatever you wrote was making them either feel certain things or that they thought should be written differently, you actually have to take the feedback because they they are representing a certain you know population. And so the answer is, oh, okay, thank you. That's actually your response. Thanks. And then you do exactly what, of course, feels authentic to you, but then you, you actually make the change. There's a few times that I was like, oh, wow, I didn't think of that. But it was exactly what was needed for like that population, even older folks or mm. maybe different classes of folks. We always talk about race, but sometimes class is huge. Your yeah, impetus for doing it. I don't. I never asked you that. So this is perfect for the podcast. Do you remember the first moment where you said to yourself, Ooh, I should write a book. Oh, okay, yes. It was when I was talking to my colleague and basically I was telling her how one of my sessions, how it went. And basically there was a couple that I was working with and they were arguing about the dishes. And I basically said, and I was like, you both know that they are arguing more than the dishes, about more than the dishes. And then she was like, oh my gosh, that's a good book title. And I'm like, it is, huh? And so we went with it. It ain't the dishes, it ain't the trash. It ain't the TV remote. Like, it's crazy. And we didn't do It Ain't the Affair, which totally which could have been a chapter. Maybe that'll be second edition. You predicted one of my future questions. But before that, it's so like, how much harder was this than you anticipated? Or was it on par with what you anticipated to oh, pull question. this off? I actually think writing the book was the easy part. 
I thought it was going to take a lot longer and it didn't, right? Because when something's meant to be, it just like flows out of you. It's cool. Like your pen just keeps going or your fingers keep going on the keys. Wait, did and you so say I did. That's right. We still wrote. I still wrote <laughs> this book in pen on paper. I, I needed to. It felt good. That feels better. Like when you're in your bed or under a tree, you know me, with no shoes on, barefoot. <laughs> it feels good. But what's crazy is it was the editing. That actually, when you format, now I know to not always format in the Microsoft Word. Maybe I need to change the software so that it's equivalent and correlates with what Amazon needs me to, you know, do. And so it was actually the editing. That was the, that probably took as long as the book. Now you said Amazon. What do you mean? Oh, so Amazon has certain things, like they want certain dimensions so that they can present it on either, not just the ebook, obviously, that's just Microsoft Word, but actually to sell it the certain way that we, our book is like square, a coffee table book. And so we had to get all of these dimensions a certain way. And then we had charts in there that didn't translate from Microsoft mm-hmm. Word, but Amazon wanted it. It was crazy. I was like, okay, Amazon, they took, they upgraded us. And so they helped us to realize that we should write the book in a different software. You know how that is, the formatting. You're like, really? Where's the paragraph? Always the single or double space or width or height, but you got to play with it. So it's being sold on Amazon and your website that you sent me, or am I confused? Oh, yeah, you're right. We upgraded. This is all happening in the last week. So it was on my website. You can go to both of our websites, and we buy the book, and you pay on PayPal, and then we send it to you. Now you can go on, get the ebook on Amazon, and it'll come right to your email. Or we're going to, we're in the process of literally, by the time this airs, it'll already be um, ready to be shipped. So now I don't have to do the shipping or she doesn't have to do the shipping. It's just going to come right to you. This is so cool. So I, I, of course, put it in there and it comes up as the Kindle version. Yes. And the hard, the hard copy. Yes. Should be ready by March 13th or 14th. It's wow. in under review right now. You're on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's so crazy. Like globally, I'm going to be like, uh, yeah, you can get my uh, book in Taiwan. Let's go. All right, so the time it took to pull this off, like from not really the idea, but okay, I'm actually writing this to it's done. Is that a year, a year and a half? Oh, no, that was three months, four months. It was three months. I know that's what's crazy. So I'm a busy lady, as you are, but I so I took off Tuesday afternoons to write for three hours. Oh, like from every Tuesday from September to December, we wrote the book. So in terms of hours, Lord have mercy, three times four, that's 12 hours times three, or that'd be 36 or four months, that would be 48. So it took about 48 hours to write, just like we literally, but we're old school. So we wanted to be in the same room and write. And uh, then just like that. So we talked about the dialogue and I was typing away and we would joke about like what the names were gonna be and the characters and as, you, as the format is, it's like we have a dialogue and then we, well, that probably is a question. Maybe I should wait for that, like how I said no, that. No, I, I think that's a perfect lead-in. So would you write another book with another person, or is it like, oh, I'd like to try this on my own? What's your mindset? Oh, yeah, I'm definitely ready to try on my own, but only because when you write a book with someone else, which it was a great experience because she's a published author. She has many books. So she actually helped me along in the process. Now I'm like, oh, wow, now I got this. Mm. I kind of passed the baton to me. But I would write another book with someone, but it's, you have to definitely write a book with someone that is opposite of you. You would think you want someone that's on the same page, 
but I actually can appreciate when like I had a perspective and she had a perspective and it wasn't a like at all. It wasn't similar at all. And so we actually argued actually like the actual characters. So we were our own couple in the book where it ain't the grammar. Like that could be its own chapter. So this is so we... meta because you, you both are like counselors. So you're like the couple, but then you're like looking at the couple from the, the couple, other part of your couple, brain. Parallel process in psychology. We were having a parallel process and it totally happened. And we had to learn how the other person needed to feel heard. But how are we going to compromise? Isn't that crazy? Just like a couple. So we had to learn how to communicate just like we ask or teach in the book. By the way, non sequitur, your, the graphic is cool too. How did you go about the process of choosing? I didn't know if I wanted to have an arguing couple, but you can see it's the back. <laughs> They're kind of in the back. So I didn't know if I wanted to have an arguing couple. Oh, they are in the back. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So my thought, my first thought was I wanted someone to stand at the sink because this is like the worst moment. Where you're standing at the sink, there's suds, you got your dishwater on one bowl, one side of the sink, and someone who has not offered to help you wash the dishes, <laughs> they, put, they put a fork in the dishwater. And that moment, you're like, oh, I had enough time to, to walk from the TV to put your fork in the dishwater that I literally am standing at, but you're not asking if you want to get help with washing the dishes. So you feel taken for granted a little bit. We've all had that moment. Oh, okay. You want me to wash your bowl and your cup and your glass? Great. And so that was my first thought. And then my co-author said that might be a little too much. Let's give them something to think about. Let's yeah. give them the sink. So just like that, I'm more detailed and she's more vague in certain ways. And then I'm more vague in certain ways and she's more detailed. So I think it was perfect because it ain't the dishes kind of leaves a little to your imagination of what is this book about? one most hard, annoying, tricky, challenging parts and two of the most rewarding parts when you look back upon it? Oh, it was the very beginning, the first or second Tuesday that we met. And it was like, wow, you know how you can almost feel like your dreams are coming true and you're like starting it off and it's can taste it. Hmm. That was a good moment because it felt right next to having it in my hand by December 8th. So from like September, 2019 to December 8th, 2020, that was an entire feeling of the reward. But things I would do differently in terms of annoyance, probably like just, I don't know how to not be honest. With my co-author, there were moments where I was like, okay, just say what you mean and mean what you say. I, you mm. know, I don't understand that. So there were times where she would go back on what she said and I was annoyed. Mm. And I was like, that's not what I know. Cause you know how I am in terms of like, when I hear you, I really hear you in my entire being so I know what you said and then when you change it my brain doesn't get that which I've learned isn't always good in terms of relationships but that's how deep it was I'm like well, you said this back in February and it's now May and you want to change it and I'm getting annoyed at you not saying what you mean what you say so I, I had to be a, a good partner and listen I'm very decisive so this is the part and I'm sure you have had this in your life just knowing your personality where you, you project what you are to others and your brain doesn't understand why they're not that way. Mm -hmm. It's a very narcissistic thought, if we really call it what it is. Because you're thinking to yourself, like, why aren't you like me? It's not all about you, Dr. Tasha. You know what I mean? There are other people in the world that think differently and they're just as intelligent. You have to acknowledge that. And yeah, I just genuinely, I think I'm quite decisive where my brain doesn't understand when you change your mind. Because then why did you say it? Yeah, because okay. why? Tell me why. Is that because you're the same way? Oh, of course. 
Yeah, that's one of the many reasons we get along. It's just it's that very northeast kind of. I mean, there's oh, a yeah. drastic stereotype, right, of northeast. But there's some aspect of truth to it. Of like, we have things to do. Let's make the decision. So in other words, if you're going to make the decision and not look back upon it, you got to make the one you actually want. We don't have time to mull it over. No, we don't. And she's southern. She's definitely. She's <laughs> from Dallas. It's crazy. I didn't think about that. It could even be regional. That's deep. I thought it was generational because she's 20 years older than uh, me. And so th- th- that was a moment too, right? Because I'm like, ooh, how, you are my elder, but you're also my colleague. Yeah. How do you approach the marketing? That part seems really cool to me because you would go your way of trying to publicize the book, but then you've got, that's an advantage of having a partner in crime because then she can also do that heavy lifting. Yeah, that's been cool. The marketing has been cool. So you know how it is when you like someone that speaks, which is kind of cool. You like the way they speak and you, because they have a book, you then buy it amazing concept that doesn't mean that the book is good but because you like the way they speak or whatever they shared you now want everything that they have ever touched and so in that way that's i think of the as the oprah effect the o effect because she likes this one vacuum the vacuum now sells out quickly and so and that's what happens so she'll have a speaking engagement or i'll have a speaking engagement and from there people will want our books and it's totally separate and individual And then immediately we're like, we sell at least 20 to 30 books right then and there. If we do a webinar. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. And so we have to keep the speaking engagements going and then sell the book. And now we can have Amazon send it instead of us. Okay. So the take two, the next book, like what would that be? Have you started to mull that over? If Russell wrote another book, like this is the topic I'm excited about. Like, where's your brain with all that? Oh boy. So let me get this out. So number one, and this is deep, I want to do the next book I want to do by July 28th, which is the death anniversary of my father for the first anniversary, first year. I want to do a book that's, I wanna, I'm writing a book that's called Good Daddy Issues. I literally spoke about it at his funeral and then it was a whole thing that it's, I actually have good daddy issues, meaning that I think men are great. I don't think men are liars. I think men have integrity. I don't think men don't do chores. I think men know how to mop and wash dishes maybe better than women, possibly. Or I don't think that men are supposed to be providers solely. They can also be emotional, nurturing people to your children. And so that's all I think about Hmm. men. So I had these good daddy issues going into the world, dating it in my 20s and 30s, and you've, you've seen it all. Well, I would be surprised when like these things would happen about like broken promises. I was like, what? Men make broken promises. Now, some daughters, that's all they know about their dads. But I had I had to learn that there are some men like this, but it was because I have good daddy issues. And so I got to write about it. Not only to give you guys, meaning you're one of those good daddies, like your, your accolades, like we, we see you, we acknowledge you, all men are not bad. Um, and then the way you guys raise daughters, like being a girl dad is its own thing. So the way that we're in relationships, I've heard men even say, wow, you're so well-rounded. And it's because I have that balance of femininity and the masculinity. That's all from having a good dad. Feedback so far on the book. What have you heard and gotten oh, you excited? okay. So this was the coolest thing. Sorry to put you out there, Godbrother, but I won't say your whole name. But my Godbrother called and was like, oh, wow, we needed this. You're just writing it as the person a year and a half ago in my, my counseling session. And then in this weird way that like God ordains things that it's like perfect for someone who you're related to that just, I think his father just gave it to him as a gift. My godfather bought it for him and sent it to his son, not knowing probably what's going on in his household. So that's the cool thing about the book is, hey, 
we know that you might not be saying this out loud, but let's help you work on your communication with your wife, even though we don't even know you need this. And so you start reading and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that the trash does go out every Monday, but my wife does get mad every Monday morning because I didn't take it. And so are we mad at the wife for not reminding me? Or are we mad at the husband that has a little ADHD and forgets? And so the, the answer is, Let's not be mad at all and find a way to compromise. So yes, she can say, babe, don't forget it's Sunday night. And then he can say, oh, and do it now. So those with ADHD, men or women, spouses, your, your brain, do it now. You're going to forget. And when you forget, you're going to piss her off or piss him off. So just do it now. You know what I mean? Turn off the TV. Go for a walk. That's one of the couples in the book. It's called It Ain't the TV Remote. And it has to do with basically a lady that keeps watching. She's retired and she just watches her soap operas and then her talk shows hour after hour and her husband wants to spend time with her but he doesn't want to sit at the on the couch and watch tv so he's getting mad at the tv remote but are we really mad at the tv remote no we really want her to be more considerate of the fact that they haven't spent time together and so that's a big deal turn off the daggone too so addictive sometimes go back to being addicted to your man but that may not have been for 20 years it's obviously applicable to anyone in relationship. And I just love the fact that your book can reach the audience regardless of class or race, yep. age. And my guess is you're definitely promoting it in that way too. Yeah, I totally am. We even have a lesbian couple in there. Sometimes we, the worst thing about being heteronormative, and that's a word I learned at Berkeley in California in, in grad school, being heteronormative means that we just discuss life as in, aren't we all straight? Yeah. Aren't we all straight? Aren't we all making money and have jobs? And aren't we all a little vanilla and just want to do right? And it's no, not everybody's the same. There are lesbian couples. There's folks that are struggling that are unemployed that still want to stay married and are quite happy. There's folks with 12 kids and there's folks that are just with just them, the, the two partners in the household. And it's let's give light to that. Let's talk about the interracial couples. Let's not assume that we're talking about two black folks when we're talking about a couple. Let's make sure that we have them spread out in terms of age. Let's make somebody older than the other. Let's make sure that their values are different. That's what we tried. And if anybody reads the book and you're saying, hey, you left this out, call me, email me. I want to put that in there. That's got to be in the next because I don't want anyone to feel left out. I'm so over the heteronormative talk that we Yeah, and, and, and the scenarios from your book are obviously the thing that make it so powerful that you could so easily have a part two of just simply more scenarios, right? It's not like you're presenting, here's a concept, see you later, bye. You could have written a theoretical book without the sort of practical example, but you didn't do that. And I'm, I'm so yeah. glad you didn't. So there could easily be a part two, part three that comes back to this source. So I think that's an exciting door for you if you ever wanted to do that, is, is have more scenarios because the, the theory is so powerful in the way that you're unpacking and going through all the layers. Thanks. I even at the very end, this was interesting. So when writing the book, it's never really over until it's over. I bet you within a month of us publishing, we had this idea where to put homework in it. So you read the book, but you don't like, like, how do we like apply it? So then we did that, had a little, just a section right after the closing of each chapter was to say, hey, now talk to your spouse about how you were raised and how you guys think about gender roles or how you guys think about who, who uses the phone and how often at the dinner table or not. And then you have that conversation. So it then goes into your household to what's specific, to what you guys agree upon. Because guess what? It's your marriage. You know what I mean? It's your partnership. 
We know it doesn't have to say what society says goes. If you're swingers, let's figure it out. If you guys have a little unicorn that comes by every Friday, how do we make sure that no one's jealous? Because someone joined us in our marital kind of bliss. And you can make it work, whatever it is that is your marriage. How cool. It ain't the dishes in 30 days unpacking your relationship. And it could be day one, day two, day three. It's a workbook. Oh, um, on day one, yes. it just has just yeah, people sometimes on workbooks go a little crazy. It's like the whole page you got to fill out. That's a little <laughs> much, but it could just be like day one. Here's the concept to explore. And there's just a, one or two questions that both couples write in the workbook to unpack yep. that concept. Now it's day two. And so it leads up to day 30. And by the end of day 30, like Russell's un- had walked you through the theory. True. The and then you're more life. intimately connected because that's the thing. Oh, you, you did it together. Yeah, yeah. And you know about that. You got to do the work. It's almost like a boot camp when you're working out. You don't just do bicep curls every other Monday. You know what I mean? If you're going to finally try to bench press a certain amount, like you have to work on this daily. You kind of got to do your leg presses daily. You got to do one plank for 30 seconds so you can do one minute within a couple of weeks, but you have to keep it going. Same thing with your relationship. We forget that. It's yeah, not do like the stuff together. Movie. Yeah, that's where it started. All right, here's where I want to finish. There's this really cool book called The One Thing and by Keller, I believe. And in what he does, he, re- he, he essentially says that co- corporations that are wildly successful or organizations are wildly su- successful, they can narrow down the true purpose of what they're doing in just one thing. So like Southwest Airlines, they said yeah. we want to cut out all the extras and we want to have a low-budget airline that just gets to the absolute essentials. The other airline said – that's not going to work. You're not going to be able to pull that off. You can't cut that and cut that. You can't only focus on this. Sure enough, Southwest Airlines, wildly successful. Other airlines tried to copy it. Didn't work because it wasn't their one thing, a low-cost budget airline that people like. Um, Apple. What is one of the reasons why Apple is so successful? Because one of their taglines that they never use, but the geeks and the inside folks use, is it just works. It just It just works. Oh, I love Um, that. And so that's a quote unquote one thing. So what is Russell's one thing in this book? What is the, if you had to give that elevator, they they call it the elevator pitch, right? If you had to narrow this down, what is this book? I don't know if doing is the right word or providing is the right word, but I'm going to, I'm going to stop talking. This is one thing. That was the coolest thing about the Southwest and Apple, just the examples you just gave. So even for anyone that's listening to this, like the idea is that even your one thing, you have to believe in it, even when there's like the naysayers that you share it with, which is its own thing about sharing your dream with folks that can't see. But I love it that once they did it and they knew it, sometimes in your no, I call it your no, like it's something deep down in your gut that if no one else has to co-sign it. And so I love that Southwest and Apple did that. So mine is, to answer your question is, what I would want folks to get out of It Ain't The Dishes would be that you both came to this relationship with quiet expectations And we are just trying to help you to verbalize it, vocalize it, and make it plain so that the other person knows what the heck they signed up for because they don't know. It's crazy. At the altar, at the beach, at the courthouse, wherever you made this thing solidified or by the fireplace where you didn't want to have an actual paper for lifelong commitment, you guys just decided, wherever that was, whenever you had that moment, you had expectations that you didn't talk about, which is why you're upset when they don't do it. Now it's time to talk about it. If it's a year later, if it's a decade later, if it's once you're in, have the emptiness after the kids went off to college, like it's never too late. It's wow. 
So you've always liked your ex like this? Yeah. After 20 years. And it's, I do. Why didn't you tell me? I just, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. Like it's all these things that we think that we were taught to not do or to do because of what we were shown. And really, we can create our own thing and find our own happiness or contentment. I like the word contentment better than happiness. Happiness comes and goes. But like to be content and satisfied. But just, yeah, verbalize your expectations. You have them. Okay? We all do. This is super clear to me, but I never expressed it to my partner. No, like even you have to unpack it yourself too. Yeah, that's really, that's brilliant. Okay, so where can people find you, which is a separate question from where people can find the book and then give that date again for the hard copy. Okay, that's good. Where people can find me on drivebytherapy.org. That's my brand, Drive By Therapy. We can even, you can get the book or you might want to do couples counseling from there. You're like, hey, this lady sounds like she might be able to help us. So yeah. You just go on there, you use the little contact keyword, and there's a field that drops down, and we'll get back to you within 24 hours, which is bananas. Like, I'm on my email that often, okay? And other than that, Amazon has Kindle ready right now. We all can go on Amazon. It ain't the dishes and order your hard copy. I think it's like $18 or $15 or something like that. Yeah, and it's worth it. You're investing in yourself as well as in your relationship. Just to let you know. No, I can't finish without you giving your one thing of drive-by drive by therapy because that is also, forget the book is awesome. <laughs> that wasn't, the, that's not the core. The core is what you do as a, on a daily basis. So g- give them the, give the breakdown for that. Oh, drive-by. <laughs> so obviously I'm a sharpshooter, okay? And so that's why I play on the word drive-by. And the coolest thing about making drive-bys, because I also make house calls pre-pandemic and hopefully post-pandemic, because we want a post of this ridiculousness that we're going through. But basically, I literally want to get to the core of your issues quickly. And and the core of it literally is has to do with you becoming vulnerable and sharing that out loud and then realizing that it's a safe space with me. And then I'm going to have to put your pieces together, create the patterns of how often this has shown up in your life. And then hopefully within about an hour, you actually are better just because you showed up and showed up in a way where you're not putting on some type of front or some type of facade or image where that you have to be fine. I give you permission to not be fine. It's okay. You're not fine. And I'm not fine every day either. And so, yeah, once we get that together individually or as a couple or as a family, we can then do some work. And that's all I want to do is help you do the work in your relationship or in your life uh, professionally as well as personally. Because I know we're all tired of being stuck in one place and we're not thriving in the way that we could. How much of the time, as bonus question, final one, how much of the time is your unpacking needing to unpack the way people work together, whether it's the family dynamic or the relationship dynamic versus uh, that person has their own issues they need to unpack, which they're bringing that baggage into the family or they're bringing that baggage into, is it it all over the map or is it the majority of the time more the individual thing, which if you get that adjusted, it fixes the couple side and it fixes the family side. Oh, that's a good one. Of course you want to know the formula, right? You want to know the formula. (laughs) Uh, So when you meet, when I meet with a couple, I sometimes often will then meet with the couple and ask, do you guys mind if I meet with you individually? Because you're right. Sometimes we are picking up our individual stuff that's unresolved from childhood or from college or from when your parents got that divorce. You know what I mean? When you were even 23 and, but now you're 44 
and this is coming out in your own marriage or with your own children. And so, yes, those unresolved things will come up in your relationships all day, every day, right? Because you can't hide from your spouse or partner. But what's interesting is once we meet individually, you now realize that you actually now may need to work on your family stuff. And now we may need to call grandma or mom or dad, or, and it's now projecting it, you know, onto the children or even your job, like the fears and the anxieties that you have even professionally might actually center or may translate from something that happened at eight years old or 12 years old. And so that's my job. All you have to do is show up and be honest. And then I'm the one that's, ooh, we, are we trying to force this circular peg in a square hole? Or is this just something that is not for you? You know what I mean? Or is it something that you actually can create? Do we have to break something down and unlearn what the heck you thought was like Bible, as they say? And it's not. It's not. Your mom taught you wrong. Okay. Your grandma was wrong. Okay. Your dad was wrong. Everybody's not like that. And it's so cool when that moment happens. Oh, my God. That's like my favorite part of what I do. Like when that light bulb comes up. Oh, my gosh. I've been like this for 12 or 20 years. Oh my goodness, I'm, I'm allowing what is going on inside of me. I'm projecting it onto my 13 year old daughter and she's not even insecure, but because I'm insecure, mm. I'm actually, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's you, uh-huh. it's you, it's not her, it's you. Then they're literally lighter, like they, oh, that's the best. And not that it's like magic, but it kind of is because they've been needing to talk about it for years. Not like today, like years. Yeah. But they didn't even know. We don't know what we don't know. I can't give folks that. Sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. Congratulations on your book. Congratulations on this ongoing podcast. And <laughs> I'm going to continue to check in with you on your book. And I'm super excited about the July one. They need to interview you about to be the good dad. I'd, and what I'd you hope it. that your daughter says one day about you. <laughs> and she's very picky. So if it, if it comes, if that, if that gets said, I'll, I'll take it. 